We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. All right, coming at you from our Penguin Book of Short Stories, we have Insects by Seirai Yuichi. I bet penguins don't eat insects. There's none down there, huh? I mean, I've seen the zoo feed them fish before. I'd eat fish, but I wouldn't eat an insect. <laughs> All right. So this comes from, I believe, uh, maybe I'm wrong here, but I believe this comes from the Ground Zero short story collection as well, which actually won a couple of awards. We're looking at the Itosei Literary Prize as well as the Tanazaki Junichiro Prize for the Ground Zero and other stories, which is pretty impressive. Remind me what those are again. I know you've told me once before. I think we've talked more about the Kutagawa Prize before, oh. which is, after, yeah, but that was for a different book, but he he actually won that one as well. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting author, because if you look into his bio, born in 1958, right? So he was not at the actual, I don't want to diminish his experience, but, but he wasn't at the actual bombing. He, he was born 13 years later. Right. When we look at Nagasaki of 1945 from World War II. But he's got this Ground Zero book dealing with a lot of the bombing, you know, fallout, if you will, which he grew up with fallout, if you will. And uh, his other one, the the one that won the Akutagawa is actually about religion. And you'll see how both of those themes seem to be really important for this author's life, are, are really infused into this work. I imagine that even though not having maybe firsthand experience, which again, not a lot of people did because unfortunately so many people were you know, killed at the bombings, even living in the aftermath, it would have to affect your life heavily in so many regards of, of life that I think that secondhand knowledge adjacent to living during such a close proximity to an event like that has to still have effects on you as a youth, as, you know, a, a person in general, your faith, uh, your culture, etc., I think it's a story you have to tell, right? And that's something that obviously this author had a calling for. Now, our narrator of the story is Michiko. Uh, I think it's Hirose-san, if I took my notes correctly here. I uh, only read through the story once. I know sometimes I like to read twice, but man, this was a, a longer story. Like Kindle estimated that it would take me about 35, 40 minutes to read. I think it took me like two hours to read. Like, I don't, I don't know if I was just going slow or if there was way more words than Kindle thought there were. <laughs> I was in the same boat. I remember when I finished this, I think I texted you and I was like, this thing's a chonker. Mm -hmm. I, it took me almost over two hours. And again, I was reading it in little pieces while I was at work, but still it, it definitely took me over a two hour period. I think collectively. Right. So it's kind of hard to summarize a two hour experience, which we only read once, right? Like generally we, I, I like to go through things a couple of times. Didn't have that luxury here this past week, but you know, what also made this complicated is is the usage of time, right? When we talk about authors like William Faulkner, who I love 
for various reasons, but one, of course, being his the way he messes with time, the way he layers events and chooses to jump and cut between things. I don't want to say it's like that, but you do have similar feelings where you are your one life, right? You're, you're this this Michiko person, but you're jumping back between her ter- 20s, her 30s, her 40s, her 60s, all the way up to 75 when she's at the end of her life. Like you're you're moving through all these traumatic, beautiful, horrific, exciting, confusing, lustful, hopeful moments in her life. So, so to boil that down is, is pretty difficult, I think. I would definitely agree that this is Faulkner-esque. You have, in some certain situations in the story, Michiko telling you a story of her present time where she is an old lady and then literally same paragraph mid-sentence, she's talking about when she's 20 and had the long, dark black hair. Or you're in the same paragraph and she's talking about, you know, her liver spots and boom, she switched just to when she's, you know, in her 30s and she is starting, you know, an affair. So like it, it, it is very William Faulkner-esque. So be prepared for this jarring experience, sometimes even mid-paragraph during the story. Right. And at a super high level, we have the bombings when she's young, right? Because I know it said that she was 19 when she started working at that printing press, which I believe was after the bombing, because they did talk about how five of the six people working there had injuries from probably the war or the bomb. I'd have to go back and double check. But, you know, you're dealing with people who have been impacted by a very traumatic experience, except for her love interest. Right. And we're dealing with all these emotions about the people that were impacted by the war versus the people that were not the resentment. Some people felt all the way up through where she watches this boy that she's lusting for go hook up with her friend. Right. Reiko. And they go off, get married, have children only to come back one time to Nagasaki when she's in her late thirties and he's in his forties. And he, he definitely presses himself upon her. She resists it, but she wanted it at the same time. And this is the mistake, right? That the affair that she had with uh, her guy that she liked, that she resented him choosing her friend who wasn't impacted by the war. So again, that complication, uh, to growing up and thinking about how she had lost her hair and and continued to grow older and lived with this uh, sin. She's uh, I guess I should be saying it's the story is also told as like an epistolary tale, right? Like like we're almost talking to her holy mother. Like she she's very religious and religion defines a lot of her worldview, which was another part that you're kind of juggling with depending on you know, your own personal view. All the way up to the final moments of of the scenes where she's seventy five ish, I think, if my math is correctly, yeah. if if it's twenty five plus the thirty <laughs> late thirties that she was when she cheated on him, that she is writing this letter saying, "Should I come clean? What does shame mean? What does sin mean? If God is real, there's suddenly a, a change in her his worldview. Interestingly, you know who would who would who would hold and bear this shame? Ultimately, to write this letter, and again another complication. I go, this is my 20,000 foot view, the insects, right? These insects that have just been there through all time. Uh, if, you know, her, her having her religious view, were they there on Noah's Ark? How did they survive? Uh, all the way up to almost being a counter to religion. So a lot to talk about. <laughs> Hopefully that's a high enough level presentation, but I didn't take you two hours to tell that story at least. <laughs> 
<laughs> you did not. And I, I think that uh, our audience appreciates that. But uh, leave a like down below or comment if you want Una to read the entire story out loud for a YouTube video. <laughs> oh, that would be uh, that'd be a rough one. That'd be whew. I think it took me an hour to read about 15 minutes of that play when my wife and I did the play for the, the I remember. Very German Christmas. That was fun. Uh, I can imagine that two hour, that probably, that'd be an eight hour work day. Yeah. Be, <laughs> you need a whole <laughs> bunch of cough drops. <laughs> Ooh, that'd be rough. That'd be rough. All right. So let's start talking about some talking points in this, right? Um, I guess let's start with the big one, the bomb, right? This, this, this bomb goes off and it impacts people in so many different ways, not only just physically about how the main author or narrator, sorry, but the, the narrator had the injured leg, right? And she begins to resent people that, that aren't injured, right? That didn't have these physical manifestations of trauma is one way of looking at it. And I think that shows her youth. I think that's something that a lot of us can relate to as a younger individual of when something good happens to someone else, you tend to get jealous. And if something bad happens to you, then, and, and you don't see other bad things happening to other people that might be a good or bad person in your perspective, then you feel like, why am I being portrayed? Why why is God punishing me and not punishing this other bad person? I did nothing wrong, especially when it comes to a physical ailment, because a lot of times that's the thing that society perceives, right? You can't see someone's mental health, but you can see a physical injury on a leg. You can see, you know, a, a loss of an arm, uh, you know, that is going to be something that's going to be very impactful in your own personal life and the way society is going to treat you. And that's tough as a young person. The complications of, as you mentioned, you presented the religious worldview there, of course, but then you also have, I'm going to call it atheistic, maybe nihilistic, maybe absurdist view with the insects, right? They, they, they even call directly out the narrative, what if there is no design? What if we're just insects behaving, responding? And even then that was kind of the man's justification for his animalistic behavior when they have the quote-unquote mistake, the affair, right? There's a lot of comp competition, not only with her and her physical representation of her mental state, but even her faith, right? When her faith is being challenged by this thing that seems to have always been there, and she questions, were the bugs on the ark? And, and if there is a God, like remember in that final ultimate moment of confession where she says, if God isn't here to, to bear the shame, what does that mean? And you have these people that are also wrestling with their faith saying, well, right during the bombing, clearly the, the problem of suffering, if there is a all powerful, all benevolent God, you know, I didn't free will choose to get bombed. How do we justify our suffering? And that's a very complicated question for this author who's very religious to have injected into the story. And Michiko goes into great detail, and I don't want to say that the story is depressing, but it's hard to get through some of these pieces because they are so well written about how she is suffering and the details of her aging and the changes to her physical body, the changes to her mental state, the struggles that she's going through with acceptance and loneliness. Um, you know, survivor's guilt is, is another thing that we really hadn't mentioned yet. This is a tough read, not only because I think it's very high, um, well-written, but it also is just, it's a gritty narrative of something that a lot of us may not be able to relate to in some regards of living through a tragedy of this magnitude and degree. Uh, but I, I think that you you brought up a good point there of we 
we, we try to question why would we be made to suffer this way? I've lived through this once in a lifetime, twice in a lifetime, I guess, experience counting both, um, you know, bombings, but that's got to be enough for one person, right? And then it's just like you get browbeaten over and over and over again. And she just keeps going back to like, I've suffered, you know, my aging, I'm all alone. I have these physical ailments. I, you know, I'm not getting any better. Uh, it, it just one thing after another hits this poor lady. When does it ever end? When is her salvation? How is she going to reach her salvation? And that's, uh, I think that, that, that what, what she's going through that this story that you're going to have to, kind of come to grips with it. It's tough. With that said, I don't know if we've ever talked about on this channel. Um, I know you know a lot about history being a history teacher previously, but have how well do you know some of the, the way Christianity came to Japan? Uh, there's a couple of reference to like the um, Kunchi festival. Was it Kunchi? I, I think it's that one. There was even a footnote behind that, that talked about how, um, during the Edo period, this was a time where they were allowed to investigate for hidden Christians, right? But there's even more subtle ones where they keep talking about the Urakami Cathedral, which, you know, do you know some of the history of that and some of the Christian background behind some of that out of curiosity? No, I don't know that. I know that it was introduced early a lot by the Dutch because, you know, those were the only few the traders that were allowed in. And, of course, a lot of times Christianity is going to be keep, kept hidden, uh, you know, in Japanese communities because it was definitely seen as something that was almost like a— uh, an infection into their culture from outsiders. Mm -hmm. No, you 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 hit the nail on the head. So you get the idea, right? Like all yeah. that Western influence changing our way, the Japanese way, Shinto, uh, and such. It, it was like that where they they would try to purge it, right, and and try to make people renounce it. In, in Silence by Endo is a very popular book that was even adapted by Scorsese to that kind of walk through that. But the cathedral was actually one of the places where people would openly worship almost as kind of like a middle finger to, to Shinto in the Japanese way. So to see, you know, her, her idea of sticking up for what she thinks is right, destroyed in this bombing, which is questioning all the suffering, questioning you know, if they're God's chosen people, why would he cause them this much pain, right? There, there's a lot of symbolism there to see your icons of, of, of it's almost kind of like a shrine in the monk, amongst, um, well, I guess in the Christian view, it'd be pagans, but, you know, the way of life of Japanese to be completely obliterated amongst all this destruction. It's got to be super hard for that individual to wrestle with what does this mean to me and, and how I and how I choose to have faith? Besides the religious aspect, I also thought about from a point of view of, I guess, something that was probably mistaught, uh, you know, very young of like science of that if there is a, a nuclear, you know, type of devastation that the only thing that survives, you know, are, are cockroaches. And I think that's a misnomer. I think that there's a lot more that survive. And we're talking about insects. Do you think that as an author, that that might have been some influence of survival, that humans survive, we survive like insects, that we can overcome these difficult obstacles in our lives and be better for it. And maybe our life won't turn out perfect or the way that we want them. But Michiko did have a life. I mean, she achieved things and she, you know, went about her her day and, um, 
I don't think that it was a, maybe a great life, but it was a life. And that's to say, you know, it was something. She didn't lose her life like, you know, tens of thousands, nearly 100,000 people did in both of the bombings. I hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. So comparing, so so clearly there is evidence in the story where they talk about how, what was it, the fly on the dead per, the dead woman's cheek or like the person they thought was dead. And she compares that with, was there flies at Golgotha? Right where there are fleas on the animals on the ark, there, there's clearly evidence there. To your point about you know, insects have survived. They've been here, even though they're not the chosen ones and and mentioned directly in the Bible and such. Um, no, I think the argument is there. Interestingly enough, I guess for some reason I I view them as the antithesis of religion because they made several references to, you know, are you alive? Right. And when when Sasaki attacked her, they talked about resorting, um, no, reverting to animalistic needs and how religion is something that we dress up those needs is is kind of the way that I took it, that the insects became all of this nihilistic, eternal being underneath the scenes. That that might be my own reading of the story with how they compared uh, carnal desires and needs with with the religious calling, if you will. But I absolutely see, you know, what what you're saying there. That that's kind of an interesting take on it. I, I guess you also could take it, uh, and again, I, maybe we're going kind of in circles. It's like man versus nature versus man working with nature. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and and that's that's a very good theme too, right? Because when it comes to Shintoism, when it comes to the being with nature and such, that that is much more felt. I feel like in the Japanese culture, perhaps, that you see this struggle with it as well. Than a Western ideology. Sure, yeah. Do you feel that this was one of those stories that was a stronger discussion, perhaps, than the read itself? 1,000%. Because, and again, I don't think that the story was bad. I guess I would just describe it as exhausting because it's so heartbreaking in, in some of the ways that Michiko just makes you feel the feels. <laughs> uh, so I, I definitely felt a lot for her. And I feel that there's a lot more discussion elements to this than just reading the story and, and getting, you know, maybe less out of it that way or personally. Right. Well, it, it didn't feel like any of the characters were archetypes, right? The, the These all felt real breathing people struggling with identity, struggling with trauma, struggling with lust and desire and happiness hope right like this was a very as you said draining read but at the same time i think it can be eye-opening as well but i agree like you know when you're in there sitting there reading you're like oh my gosh (laughs) you're kind of ready for some a a breather if you will there there was never a moment to breathe i felt like sometimes during the story yeah get your box of tissues ready because it is one that is um yeah it's good I think it's worth a, a read if you are okay with experiencing the not positive side of a human experience. All right. So we're going to leave a playlist of the Japanese, the what is it called? The Penguin Book of Japanese Short Stories. I, th- I think that's what it's called. Uh, I don't know. We're working through that one as well as the Oxford one. We'll leave, hey, I'll leave a playlist of both of those down below. What story would you like to see us cover next, perhaps from those collections that we haven't covered yet? Looking forward to hearing from you in the comments because, whew, I need a breather after that one. (laughs) My name's Benuna. Peace. 
I need a hug. Crypto. Peace. <laughs>